This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. Uh, number one rule of show business is never follow animals and children. So uh, go be the church. God bless you. No. Hey, um, kids are a crack up though. And as they grow, like, you know, um, sometimes I look at my kids and I'll say, you're so much like me and I'm so sorry. Um, last week I had that happen actually. So that my, my beloved uh, San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles were um, playing the Broncos and the Broncos were 0-4 and, 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 ha- and in really bad shape. And my Chargers aren't very good either. But um, my son knows um, one of the security guys at church. And so, you know, we have an amazing security team at this church. You are very safe. There are all kinds of um, off-duty cops, cops that are roaming the place. They're in here. They've got your six right now. You don't know where they're at. Um, they're, you know, in the parking lot. And not just off-duty cops. There's just people that like guns. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> there's like, there's a lady who's a kindergarten teacher that's on our security team. Just letting you know. So don't mess. All right. But here's the deal. My, my youngest son knows one of them is a Broncos fan. So he ran up to him. He's 12 years old. He goes, Mr. Dustin, Mr. Dustin, someone has broken into a car in the parking lot. And, uh, you know, he went into watchdog mode. He goes, what? What, what's going on? And he, he goes, yeah, they broke a window. This person had two Broncos tickets on their dashboard and they broke the window of the car and they put four in there. And <laughs> Dustin just went, Beady, you know, um, and just like me, talks good trash and can't back it up because the Chargers lost. So anyways, I don't know if you've ever tried to read um, a, like a thread of emails, but you could only read one thread. You couldn't read the responses or you couldn't read the questions and you can only read the answers. Uh, that, that can be maddening because you don't always know what's going on in the letter. And um, this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Corinthians and we're going to, re- uh, Corinthians 11 is the passage and we'll get to it in a minute. We'll read it in a minute, but I got to explain some things first. Um, so sometimes if you're reading these threads of emails and you can't read the other, the responses, you don't know fully what's going on in the letter. You don't have context. And um, here's what I want you to know. The book of Corinthians was a letter written by Paul as a response to some things that they had reported to him and at questions they had asked him. And he's, report, he's writing back to them. So we don't even know the full context of it. And then um, he writes that letter to him and then they write back to him. And then he also writes 2 Corinthians, which is another response. So it's this series of letters. So here's what I want you to understand. And it, it's really, um, the, the whole Bible, it, it applies to all of it. But especially as we're reading today in the book of 1 Corinthians, is the book of 1 Corinthians is not written to you, okay? So look at your neighbor and say, it's not written to you. But I have good news. It is written for you. It's not written to you, but it is written for you. So when something's not written to you and we're kind of eavesdropping on one end of a letter, things can get a little dicey. And um, this passage we're gonna read, I'm just letting you know, um, 
I, I, I looked at it three weeks ago, you know, during Brian Head Welch while he was here. I had three weeks to prepare for this passage. Um, Pastor Scott after that, Pastor Dave last week. And I thought, you know what? This is a tricky passage. Um, I'm going to go look and see what well-known pastors have preached on this and see what they had to say about it because this one's really hard. And I'm just going to let you know, none of them have ever touched this one. They're a bunch of cowards, okay? So listen, once you hear it read, you'll understand why. It's difficult. If you're a lady... Chill out, wait till you get to the end of the sermon, because maybe this doesn't mean what you think it means. If you're a dude, chill out, just all of us, let's all take a deep breath and relax. We're going to dive into this passage. Um, I said we weren't going to shirk anywhere in this book, and, and um, the only pla- the only, there is one passage we did skip over, and it was dealing with incest in the church, and I think we all would assume that that's bad, right? So we can move from that one. But this one I thought we, we should handle. So my friend Ron is gonna come out. He has the most wonderful scripture reading voice I've ever heard. So you're in, a treat, in for a treat today. I tried to pick the really soothing voice for this passage. So let's rise to our feet as we read from the word of the Lord. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born from woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that a man has long hair? It is given, it is a disgrace to him. But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're offended and you know it, clap your hands. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So, um, we're just going to dive into this. here's, Here's the deal. In the Bible, um, so theologians have a, a, a term they call hermeneutics. Everyone say hermeneutics. Um, theologians like to make words up. All that means is Bible interpretation. It means interpretation. But hermeneutics sounds way more uh, white tower 
academic, academia, okay? And the concept, though, I want to try and make this as simple as possible, is, right, I said the Bible was not written to us, it was written for us. So there are... an amalgamation of, of different letters and writings. Some were written to Israel. Some were written to the earliest Christians and some were written stories about Jesus to all people to read and on and on and on. But um, in the scripture, and especially when you get to a place that is difficult to, um, to understand, and there are places in scripture that are difficult to understand. And I want you, I want you to, um, to, to take the, this, this concept with me. When you get to a place that you don't understand in scripture, one, maybe make the assumption that um, it may not be saying exactly what you're saying or what you're reading, okay? Because in, in God's word, there's always truth. It's the truth. It's, you know, you can find the truth in the Lord of the Rings or in um, Harry Potter or in uh, the, any book, there's truth in everything. But the Bible is the truth. It's, by, it's the standard by which we measure all things true. Okay? So in scripture, there's always God has the jewel of truth. Here's, here's the problem though. Um, because it was not written to us, but for us, it, it, sometimes it gets buried in, um, it, it gets buried in history. Is anyone here from the 50s? Like literally the AD 50s when this was written. Anyone that old? No, right? Okay. So you've got 2,000 years of history that it's wrapped up in. You also have culture, okay? None of us lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, let alone, let alone 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And the culture was completely different, all right? Then you also have a language barrier, right? Um, the Bible was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Those are the three, three languages that the Bible was written in. Um, and, you know, we, we have to decipher what it meant in the language. And sometimes I get people that'll say like, oh, I, I want the Bible, you know, give me the Bible translation that's the most literal because that's the right one. We don't need these pansy paraphrased ones. And here's what I want you to understand. While that is well-meaning, it is incredibly not true. We need all of them. We need the paraphrase and the literal to get the true meaning from the scripture, especially when you get to difficult passages like this. I'll give you a great example about translation. If I were to say to you in Spanish, for those of you that habla espanol, como te llama? What am I saying? All right. For those of you listening online, you can type in what's your name, right? Those that are listening, part of our online community. It means what's your name? But if I am to translate what's your name or como te llama, literally, como means how, te you call. Now you would never introduce yourself, hi, how you call? Because that makes no sense whatsoever. That's not a good translation. Literal is not always the best way to translate something. So you, 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 you need all the different Bible translations. I recommend all of you download the YouVersion Bible app. There's about... 70 to 80 different English translations on there and, you know, pick a primary one and then look at all of them at what they say, how the translators are translating it to get the best meaning. So you have history, culture, language. You have the culture you live in. Believe it or not, we all have cultural blinders on. We all read the Bible as 21st century Westerners and I'm going to break it to you this morning 21st century Westerners, we don't, our culture is, we are not at the high point of culture. I put my wedding ring on the wrong finger. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, honey. She's watching online. But listen, 
We are not at the high point of culture. Our culture doesn't have it all figured out. There are broken things about our culture as well, okay? So, so I want, want us to understand that when you have to many times unpeel those layers. That's why we have commentaries, we have books, you have pastors, you have people you can go to, people that are further along in the faith. When you get to a troublesome passage, ask, go look. But, but here's what I want you to also know. There are places in scripture where we don't really know what it means, to be honest, because it was a letter. And we're like, um, I'll give you a great example. When you get to verse 10 in this passage, it says, um, it is for this reason, a woman ought to have authority over her own head. Ladies, can I get an amen on that one? You're in charge of your head, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we like that, that verse. It says, should have authority over her own head because of the angels. What? What is that? Well, I, I want to let you know. I went, I've read, I read about 10 different scholars' takes on it. Um, they all had a different take on it. And here's what that means. They don't know. <laughs> they were all speculating. And many of them said, we don't really know what's on there. I'm going to let you in on some really good news. You don't always have to know either. Because the Bible was written to someone else. For you though. And there's truth and there's things in it that you can glean. And believe it or not, there is truth in this passage that every one of us could apply to ourselves. Because I'm looking out here and none of you women got your heads covered and some of you men have hats on and some of you have long hair. Shame on you! <laughs> well, maybe that's not what it means. So, um, so I want to talk to you about what's going on culturally first in this passage. Um, it talks about women covering their head in church. And here, here's what I want you to know. In the, in the first century, in the middle, even today in the Middle East, most women have their head covered. It's just a sign of respect. It's what respectful women do. That They, they would look at it that way. We in the West, we look at it and go, oh, it's oppressive or whatever. And that's fine. Again, um, the very people that call it oppressive are the ones that get upset when we culturally appropriate someone else's culture. But I'm not gonna go to their hypocrisy. So anyways, um, even though I just did. But here's what I want you to understand. In the first century, um, for a woman to wear a head, head covering, that was what you did in public. Um, it showed that you... Um, where you belong to someone's household, whether it's your father's or you, you were married to this man and you were in their household and it was a sign of respect. And typically in the first century, they weren't really good to women. And if you, your husband died and you didn't have any sons, typically the father would not take you back and you were cast aside. You had no, no means of income after that. Uh, many times you would go into prostitution that, you know, and when you didn't wear your head covering, it could be a sign that you were a prostitute. It could be a sign that, you know, you're, you're not, in someone's household, in someone's family. And I know for you right now, you're like, yeah, well, I'm an independent woman. I get that. But you have to understand something. That's something your culture has taught you to be independent. There's nothing wrong with that. But that was not how their culture viewed it. Okay? So what Paul is saying is, yeah, it's the norm. Wear a head covering. Like, don't distract people. Okay? Um, I'll give you a modern day example. Living in Southern California, um, and in Oceanside, California, we had a phrase in Oceanside. We said, keep Oceanside sketchy um, just because there's all kinds of characters bouncing around Oceanside. And I remember, I, I, funny enough, Pastor Scott had a similar story in the church he pastored. But I remember one Sunday morning, um, you know, worship music's playing. I'm standing in the back, kind of singing, kind of watching. And um, our, the church I pastored was about five blocks from the beach. So everyone was 
kind of that surf culture or whatever. And some woman decided on her way to the beach, she just felt like I should go to church and she'd never been to our church before. And she came rolling into Generation Church wearing a bikini and flip-flops. So two things happened. Two different responses. So all the men in the church were like, whoa, right? And all the women went, oh my. <laughs> Similar responses actually, but um, di different heart behind it. And, and there was one guy and th that was culturally to her, it wasn't a big deal. She's like, what? I'm going to the beach, okay? To everyone in the room though, they're like, whoa. And you know, uh, in most places, you don't just go cruising in a bikini. You only go and step on sand or in a pool or, or whatever. Um, and it was, it was kind of distracting a little bit, you think, right? Um, you know, some of the teenagers in the room were like, this is the best church ever. But listen, <laughs> guy in our church, older gentleman in our church, godly man, went, sat right next to her. His wife went, I'm watching you. No, she came and sat with him. He took his jacket off and said, it's cold in here. You should put this on. And he put his jacket around her and just sat next to her. Very cool thing to do. Godly thing to do. Didn't shame her. Didn't get out of here, harlot. Anything like that. She wasn't part of the church. Like we didn't need to, you know. Now, if my wife walked in in a bikini, I'd be like, what are you doing? Get out of here, you know, get on, get out of here. You know, it's not culturally appropriate, right? So um, you have to understand to not wear a head covering in public in the ancient world like that, it was like, what are you doing? Okay, so um, they, they, Paul is saying, hey, be appropriate, right? And then he says, um, he, he, he says, you know, um, that their, their hair is a woman's glory and the shaved head is, is, is their shame. And we go, what? How dare he? You know, like, you know, and, and listen, my wife has hardly any hair because of cancer right now. And I could read that and be super offended or I could do hermeneutics. I could peel back some of those things and you end up finding out that, well, in the ancient world, when a conquering nation came in, you know what they did? They took off the beautiful, they took off all the young, beautiful girls as, as concubines to be sex slaves to the king. And then the rest of the women, they either killed them or they shaved their head to shame them. And if your head was shaved, it showed that you had been conquered. So this is everyone in the Corinthian church went like, oh yeah, Oh, totally. It's just, but we read it and go, what is going on here? Because we don't understand the context behind it. So then it says, guys, don't have your head. If, if you pray with your head covered, you've, you're shame, you're, it's shameful. You know, I see some of you dudes with hats on when we pray. But listen, let me explain to you what's going on there. Um, it was, back then, that was a culturally appropriate thing to do. Um, you, you took the hat off in Corinth. It, it, it's what you did. Guys wore turbans. They'd take them off, what, whatever. But here's what I, I, I need you to understand. The modern day equivalent would be like, if you go to a baseball game and they say, now rise for the national anthem. What do most men do? We take our hat off, right? Why do we take our hat off? Just a sign of respect, right? And then usually you look over at your teenage son and you're like, take your hat off. Why? I don't need to do that. <laughs> take your hat off, dummy. Everyone else is doing it. It's appropriate. Okay. 
And then your teenage son grows up and he's in his 40s and the national anthem comes. And he takes his hat off because it's a respectful thing to do. And his teenager goes, why are you going to do that? Shut up. Just do it. You'll learn. Paul was basically just going over what at that time was culturally appropriate. Um, it doesn't mean you're sinful if you have your head shaved or um, you don't cover your head or you're a dude and you wear a hat. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to be culturally appropriate is, is what's going on. And I, I want to, um, oh, and long hair, by the way, let me touch on that one too. Because long hair, you have to realize, again, is relative to every culture. If you lived in the 1950s in America, long hair was anything touching your ears. Now that's like, what, big deal, Right? Um, Jesus had way longer hair than me. Does that mean I was more godly than Jesus because he had long hair? No, from culture to culture, it's all different. And, and let's be honest, every culture is broken. Not any culture stands at the apex of humanity. I love the people that are always like, oh, yeah, you know, trying to shame us in, into things, thinking that the culture we live in today, what we believe is right and wrong is the apex of humanity that we've got it right now. Like all the previous generations have missed it, but now we got it right. That's so arrogant. I don't know if you realize in the 1930s, the intellectual elite of Northern Europe sat around drinking wine and listening to Wagner, reading Friedrich Nietzsche. And they thought they had arrived at the high point of culture as they all discussed how the Caucasian, the white, was, had superior DNA to all the other races and we owed it to the human race for the white people to evolve higher and become the superhuman and eradicate lower, lower races. I want you to think about that for a minute. And they thought they were at the high point of, of human culture. See, every culture is broken. And what Paul is trying to say here, and I love what he, it's verse 11. I think this is really interesting what he says in verse 11. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. So I, I, I want to touch on that verse for a minute. First, he says, nevertheless, in the Lord. And let me explain to you what he means when he says that. Paul, um, in all of his writings, uses this phrase, in Christ in the Lord, okay? And here, here's the other thing I want you to understand. Whenever you come to a difficult passage of Scripture, remember this. Part of interpreting it is the whole of Scripture interprets Scripture. If we were just to isolate this passage right here, um, we, we would we would lose the gospel and we would get into legalism that every woman in order to be right with God needs to wear a head covering and every dude needs to cut their hair and stop wearing hats to church and then we're right with God. And that's not at all what this passage is saying. So scripture interprets scripture. And I don't know if you know, but the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, he talked about how a man and a woman, a husband and a wife relate together. And he said in Ephesians 5.20, he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And if any of you were here last week for Dave Love Weekend, he preached out of Ephesians and he used Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two tells us exactly how Christ loved the church, all right? It says, Christ, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself a servant. Okay, so what's going on, Paul is talking about is this act of mutual submission that you, 
if you're married, are here for the spiritual flourishing of your spouse. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, he's not for mine or she's not for me, whatever. You're thinking about how, you know, well, I'm not gonna do that unless they're that for me. And here's what I want you to understand. Um, You are free to think however you want, but I use an old axiom when I'm not having a good time uh, being married. They they use an AA and it's, I'm gonna keep my side of the street clean. I cannot worry about her side of the street. I can't clean her side of the street, but I'm gonna keep my side of the street clean. And if God has called me to love my wife as Christ loved the church, even when my wife's not lovable, and believe it or not, guys, you're not lovable sometimes too. I'm gonna do it. Because God needs you to do the right thing, not the thing you feel like doing. Okay, so he says, in the Lord, nevertheless, in the Lord. And here's what that means. He's speaking to Christians. Anyone that is a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're in the Lord, the question I have is, are you in the Lord? Are you in Christ? Do you know? If you were to stand before God today and he said, why should I let you into my kingdom? How would you answer? Well, I was a good person. Uh, I coached soccer. Um, uh, um, I... You know, sometimes I drop change in the Salvation Army thing around the holidays and I went to church sometimes. And what God would say is, good job, but that doesn't do it. See, in order to be in Christ, in the Lord, it's very clear. The Bible has said that all of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, including St. Paul. I don't know if you know, but the apostle Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. You know what he said? This is crazy to me. He was talking about sin and he he struggled with sin even. And he said, what I wanna do, I don't do. And the very things I don't wanna do, I end up doing those. And it's driving me crazy. Anyone ever felt that way in the room? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, well, awesome. Well, if Paul struggled with sin, let's sin it up. No. He said, should we sin so grace increase? By no means. You've been bought with a price. So the, the truth of the matter is, if you don't know where you stand in, 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 in Christ, you can know for sure the Bible's very clear. The Bible says that if, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. He's talking about Jesus. It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, You'll be, you'll be saved. That's Jesus. If you, if you confess Christ as your Lord, if you believe in what the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins. See, God knew he wasn't freaked out when you sin. He knew you were gonna sin. He knew what you'd struggle with. He knew all your hangups. He knew all your proclivities. He knew all the sins that, he knows all the sins that no one else in this room knows about. And he was never like aghast at them. As a matter of fact, he's madly in love with you. He's fighting for your heart today. That's why he sent Jesus to live a perfect life because you and I can't. A sin-free life. And the Bible says that whoever believes in his son will not perish and have eternal life. So are you in the Lord? Now, here's the other thing. This passage, do you know what it's really teaching? Do you know what the the nugget is in this passage? it's, It's really simple. 
Um, and it's, it's all about worship. I don't know if you, you realize that. They're having trouble in their worship services. There's people like standing up, speaking in tongues and women not wearing head coverings and dudes with their head covered. And um, there's, you know, they're, they're getting drunk during communion. I mean, most of Corinthians is about um, this church. Gone, it's like church has gone wild. Woo, that kind of thing, okay? <laughs> like you, you, have to, you have to understand. It's, it, that's why we call this series good news for bad Christians because the church in Corinth was jacked up just like our church is. Like we've got, we're a bunch of sinners in this room, especially you guys. But listen, here, here, here's the thing. What Paul is trying to tell them by, hey, wear your head covering, don't cover your head. Dude. He's saying this, this is the principle. It's not about you when we gather. Look at your neighbor right now, tell him, hey, it's not about you. Don't say it's about me. It's not about you, it's about me. No, listen, it's not about you. Rick Warren in the book, The Purpose Driven Life, it's the best-selling book of all times besides the Bible. Um, the first sentence of the book says, it's not about you, it's about God. See, and when we come together, it's not about what we like, what we wanna do. I gotta be me. It's not, it's not about that at all. It's about Jesus, believe it or not. When we gather publicly to worship, it's about Jesus. And see, we live in a culture where you see four to 5,000 advertisements every day. And I want you to know what that's done to our brain. What that does to our brain is you see four to 5,000 advertisements saying, you need this. You're not happy because you don't have this. You deserve a break today. You should treat yourself. You need it. It's you, 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 you. Our culture has blinders on that we think everything's about us. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm just as guilty of it as you. We come to church as consumers of religious goods and products. So what happens is we walk in the room, you open your bulletin right away. That's the first thing you do and go, who's preaching? <laughs> oh, that guy, great. And then the band starts and you're, you know, and you might be like, oh, I love this song. This one's awesome. And then the next one comes and you're like, oh, I only sing songs from Australia. That one stinks. <laughs> or I only sing hymns or I only, whatever it is. And we start grading everything. I'm just as guilty of it as you. I, but the whole message that Paul's trying to tell the earliest Christians that I think God's trying to tell us is it's not about us. It's about Jesus, especially when we gather. The Bible says, so the son of man be lifted up, the world will be drawn to him. That when we lift Jesus up and we put our preferences aside for the flourishing of others. You know, it said when Jesus did that, it said, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. When he went for the flourishing of others, God exalted him. So you wanna be high and exalted, kneel down for others. I'm gonna touch on this just because I did in the other two services um, and I'm gonna try and keep my temper. I remember um, recently one Sunday, we had a big church-wide vote on our budget, which, was, which we do every year. And if you're a member of Clovis Hills Community Church, um, the way you become a member is you take our 101 class and you become a, a member. Um, we ask everyone to vote, but we can only count the members legally by the law. So um, we get all the votes on it and whatever. And someone, uh, a member, Mark, they remember, but they wouldn't put their name on the ballot. They wrote on the back about how um, 
disgusted they were that the worship band was so young and that young people came up front here and were singing and, and you know, they were so bothered by it. And um, Pastor Mitch talked me off the ladder because I wanted to just go off on them. But I, I want you to under, I, I just want to let you know something. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, there needs to be more young people up here singing. We, and I say we, have a mandate to pass the faith on to the next generation. We don't let them sit on the bench. We want them in the game. We need them in the game. Churches all over our country are dying because people don't want to sacrifice their tradition. They don't want to sacrifice the songs that were sacred to them. That when you were young, you heard shout to the Lord and it moved you and you want us to keep playing it for the next 40 years. So we can't reach the next generation. We have to reach the next generation. We will answer to God if we don't. I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. Okay, I apologize, but that's the thing. That's the thing. And if you wrote that note, put your name on it. Come talk to me. I would love to talk to you and I promise I won't scissor kick you. Okay, listen. I love you. You're my brother, my sister, whoever you were. Okay, but we need to talk because you're missing something. Because it's not about you. If you've been going to this church for years, it's for you to be about those that have come behind you and bring them forward. When Jesus asked, was asked what the greatest commandment in all of scripture was, you know what he said in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, if you guys can put that up. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the whole book is what he's saying. Hang on these two commands. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Corinthians chapter 10. Do you know what the apostle Paul said there? He said, I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. You do. You can do whatever. I can do what I want, all right? I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one, he's talking to Christians, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. You skip forward a couple more verses in chapter 10. Pastor Scott touched on this. Verse 31, look what it says. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, can I get an amen for eating and drinking? That's good, right? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they might be saved. So, so here's, here's what I want you to know. Church, once you become a Christian, isn't about you. It's about lifting Jesus up. And sometimes um, we don't feel like lifting Jesus up. And you know what you do when you don't feel like lifting Jesus up? Lift Jesus up. You just keep lifting and let God deal with that. He'll work through that in your heart. Let Holy Spirit deal with that. So when we come together, we're all about hearing the gospel, singing the gospel, reflecting on the gospel, repenting when we realize we haven't been believing it the rest of the week. 
that we belong to God, that we were bought with a price, that, 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 that God has a purpose for our life. We went back living our life like we weren't saved. And then what Paul is trying to say in this passage is, hey, it's about Jesus. Let's try not to do anything that distracts people from it, especially those that don't know him yet. When I was um, a young man, I was, uh, Pastor Scott and I have a term we call church rat. And he was the same way. I was at church all the time. I was there Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, we had a Sunday night service. It was super boring. I went every week. Um, I went to Wednesday night youth group. Tuesday night, they had evangelism training. If there was a work day, I was there. I was just always at the church. I didn't know why, but now looking back, it was probably because God had a call on my life. And I was just really drawn to God's people for whatever reason. And the church I went to was not perfect. There was all kinds of broken people in it, just like me. Um, look around. None of you want to look because you're like, yeah, they're broken. I already know. So listen. So I'm in Sunday night church, super boring service. I, I'm wearing a baseball cap and there's this pastor. His name is Pastor Mel. And Pastor Mel was one of those old guys that, um, you know, like if he were to smile, it'd look like this. He just was a crotchety old dude. On the inside though, he actually had a heart of gold and was this very loving uh, man of God. But on the surface, he was a little crusty, okay? And I remember, I'm, just, I'm there singing whatever hymn it was. It's a very conservative church, a very like buttoned up traditional church. And I'm wearing a hat on Sunday night and he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, son, I'd like to talk to you outside. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And I um, don't like authority. I question authority. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. But anyways... Um, I, I go outside and he goes, son, you need to take your hat off in church. I go, why do I got to take my hat off? And he should have at that, well, anyways, he pulls out, he goes, okay. And he pulls out Corinthians 11 and he reads the verse about how your head should, shouldn't be covered. You're disgracing if you're praying or prophesying. And I go, well, I wasn't praying or prophesying. I was just singing. <laughs> and he had to look like, compose yourself, Mel. He goes, it's just the right thing to do. And I, and I kind of looked at the scripture and then I just looked at him and I said, like any punk 17 year old would, I looked at him and I said, well, your wife's head isn't covered. And in that moment, I'm just gonna let you know, he should have scissor kicked me in the throat. I deserved it. But he did something and he composed himself and he said something, I'll never forget. It was just, it was very powerful. He just said, son, someday you're gonna grow more mature in the Lord and you'll know what this passage actually means. And he walked away. And I walked back in the church and I took my hat off and set it on a thing and I never put, wore a hat in that church again out of respect for him. Told the story at his funeral too. Here's the thing. Our culture, I'm, I'm gonna, I wanna talk to you about a lie that our culture believes. It's really a half truth. Our culture has this thing. I gotta be me. I gotta be authentic. I gotta be who I am. And everyone goes, yeah. And anytime someone posts something like that on social media, we're all like, 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 yeah, you be you, girl. Listen, <laughs> what if, hold on. What if the you you're being is not the real you, it's a fake you. 
Hold on. If God made you, God made you to be someone, but sin has broken us. And you might be being the real you, actually a fake version of you, a poor laminate version of you, and you're not being the person that God created you to be, but you're over here going, I gotta be me. And what that really means in our culture is I wanted to, I do what I want. Maybe, maybe God has a better you. He has a destiny for your life and you have to step into it. He'll never force you into it. He'll just wait till you decide. Okay, God, I surrender. I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know how to do that, but I know the me I'm trying to be, fake, broken, whatever it is, it's not working. And I sense it in my bones. I'm supposed to be someone else. There's a new creation in me waiting to come out. Well, the Bible says that, calls that actually conversion, that you've invited Christ to be the Lord of your life. So if you're a Christian right now, I'm talking to you. Like, don't, don't just buy into the, I gotta be me, I gotta do what I want, I gotta be authentic. No. You know what Paul said? I think this is powerful. In chapter nine of Corinthians, we went over this one too. Look what he says. Because you're saved, you were bought for a price, you were saved for something bigger than you being you. Look what he says. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself was not under the law. What he meant by that was he was Jewish, and when he was around his Jewish brothers, he was going to act Jewish. He was going to follow the laws, he was going to do all the customs, he was going to be kosher, all of that, so that he could win them to Christ. And then he says this, he says, so as to win those under the law, verse 21. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So to, as to win those not having the law. So you know what he said? He said, okay, and when I'm with the Gentiles, serve up the bacon. Let's talk about Jesus, okay? And, and he, 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 he spoke to them differently. And then he says this. He says, to the weak, I became weak. And he talked about all his weaknesses and where he was suffering and where he was struggling and where his life was hard. And then he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Listen, if you're a Christian, the whole you be you, uh-uh. You become the person God has created you to be, the person God has called you to be. If you're not a Christian, I want you to understand something tonight, today. God loves you so much. This book isn't about rules, about cover your head and uncover your head and this and that. It's about how we've all sinned and been separated from God. And the whole book is a rescue story about how God decided he was gonna come and stand in the gap for us. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved, that you'll be in Christ. The Bible says very clearly, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God, that when you receive him, you have the right to become a child of God. And if you don't know where you stand, why would you leave today not, not knowing? God is crazy about you. The person you're dying to be, he made. And he can help you be that. But so many times we're so busy buying into the lie. 
that we stop to listen to the truth. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer this morning. If you've, you don't know where you stand with God, you can know for certain. You may get some crazy feeling when you do it. You may not get any feeling at all, but you can know by the promise of God's word that if you receive him, you're one of his now and he'll never let go of you. And you can know for sure where you stand. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. So let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, take a deep breath. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I wanna thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.